0: This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors as well as the occasional guest to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: Before we hear that conversation, a quick check-in. Have you subscribed to our show yet? Take a second if you can and make sure so you don't miss any of our great episodes. Thank you. Am I lonely? And what impact does loneliness have on my well-being? Here to help us answer that question is Dr. Milena Batanova, the Senior Research and Evaluation Manager at Making Caring Common, a project of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. So you and your colleagues issued a report titled Loneliness in America, how the pandemic has deepened an epidemic of loneliness and what we can do about it. Before we get into the really devastating impact of the pandemic, I want to first understand a little more about what loneliness is.
1: Could you tell us or give people an idea of what loneliness feels like? I think that word is the key word is the feel it's the negative feelings that emerge from this discrepancy, a perceived gap between what we desire in our relationships and what they actually are. So it really is this negative feeling um, and it's a perception issue, right? There's a big difference between being alone or being in a state of solitude and actually feeling alone and feeling lonely. Um, that's why a lot of loneliness researchers tend to say, you know, you can be in a crowd of people and feel immensely lonely, or you could be in a state of blissful solitude and feel no loneliness whatsoever.
0: It seems like the experience of loneliness would be so different depending on who you are and your, your preferences, how you like to live your life. But it sounds like the experience of loneliness can really be very different for everyone.
1: Oh, yeah, Absolutely. You know, and I think we touched on this in our report um, descriptively talking about the different experiences and feelings of loneliness for different people. In the literature, it's talked about in terms of like three dimensions um, based on attentional space or how we think about our need for attention and our need for some space, right, a safe space. And those three dimensions are... Intimate, so you know, really getting at the personal or the inner core of who we are. Um, they are relational, so really getting more like you know, public uh, networks, like public social interactions, and they're also collective, you know, so really getting at the more like wider social networks um, that we have, and you know, things like our national identity or like who we feel like we are in this like bigger space of, you know, the country or the world. And I think, you know, some people can be lonely on all three dimensions, some on one, more than another, some on two, it just varies. How would feelings of loneliness differ from something like depression? And
0: is it possible for someone to be able to tell the difference between those two things just on their own?
1: Yeah, good question. You know, I'm not a clinical psychologist to be able to answer that accurately or as accurately as I would like. I do know just from doing the background research and you know the literature review on this subject, um, that loneliness has in fact been found to, you know contribute to depression and depressive symptomology over time. And likewise, depression can compound and contribute to loneliness, right? So the two can brutally compound one another and they have like very strong reciprocal effects. Um, I think that's probably, you know, a very legitimate puzzle for practitioners, right? And physicians to be able to discern and disentangle. Um, But I think, you know, to me, at least the, the, the point of that research shows that it might not be enough to simply ask, you know, people or patients about their depression. And it might not be enough to ask simply if they're lonely, right? I think it's important to ask both.
0: Do you think that a clinician would, you know, they might be pretty attuned to picking up on the symptoms of depression to be able to diagnose someone with depression, but do you think they would necessarily think to diagnose someone or diagnose, I use that term loosely, with loneliness?
1: Just from my own experiences and what I hear from other people, probably not, right? We, we get so little time as it is with our Physicians or you know nurse practitioners, and it's really sad. I think you know I I always go in there hoping to have more of a real conversation, and for them to really get to know me as a person, to really know what's going on um, outside of like any physical symptoms, and you know our system just isn't set up for that at the moment. And I would love to see major improvements in that.
0: Seems like that would really make a difference. Okay.
1: Well, let's talk in, I want to talk a little
0: bit more specifically about the actual report that you and your colleagues conducted. You did a survey of 950 adults in October of 2020. What prompted you all to do this survey in the first place?
1: Yeah, so this was one of a series of surveys we conducted last year, and we're still conducting as part of a three-year project to really better understand the state of caring in America. And so we asked, you know, a number of other questions in this particular survey, um, but we just really wanted to examine people's subjective experiences um, in terms of loneliness and their, you know, perceived relations um, or relationships with other people. And so that's why a lot of our questions uh, related to loneliness really dug into how people feel about just their basic forms of care or caring in their lives. And also what we call kind of the empathy gap, whether people were feeling like they were getting um, as much from people as they felt like they were giving or investing in their relationships. You know, that's just one thing we really wanted to examine as part of that survey before the big election. Right. It seems like that's where that feeling of loneliness really comes from. Or it's
0: you, I know you discussed that a lot in the report itself, that gap between what people think they are giving to others and what they think they're getting back in return. It seems like that's where loneliness can really spring up if there's a big disparity between those two things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, traditionally, um, studies that examine loneliness ask, you know, really good questions, right, that get at Are you, um, do you feel like you have a lack of companionship? Do you feel isolated from other people? Do you feel left out? And those are really great questions. We, I think, wanted to dig deeper and again, really get into the empathy aspects of this experience, right? And so to me, it was really, it was... Somewhat shocking, more so just saddening that like almost half of our sample, right, of lonely people said they reach out to people more than they reach out to them. Sixty five percent said that they feel like they're better listeners to people than they are to them. And sixty nine percent said that they try to understand others experiences more than other people try to understand them. And that was honestly quite shocking to us. That was really sad that so many people feel this immense, um, not just, you know, discrepancy between what they want, but like a huge empathy gap in terms of how empathic they feel like they are to others and what others are giving back to them.
0: That is pretty shocking and, and really sad. You're right uh, that so many people feel that way. Were the The rates of these, you know, the loneliness that these people were reporting, where, like, what kind of people are we talking about? Was it the same across all age groups? Were there different levels depending on, you know, people's life experiences?
1: Yeah, no, great question. So in general, and very much consistent with other studies, we found that loneliness does not discriminate. We found that across the board, um, across race, ethnicity, ethnicity, class, education, urbanicity, or type of community you live in, that the rates of loneliness and these high, you know, numbers of perceived empathy gap or whatnot were pretty um, similar. Uh, So we didn't find statistical differences, but we did find that these, you know, feelings of genuine, um, you know, empathy gap and whatnot were higher in young people and mom's of young children. Right. So 61% of young people in our sample aged 18 to 25 and 51% of moms with young kids reported loneliness or serious loneliness. That's so interesting, especially the,
0: the young people, because I feel like that time of life is so like idealized. You know, if you're a young person, you probably hear a lot from older people in your life, like, oh, these are the best years of your life. You should be out having fun and doing this and that. And it probably is, doesn't make the, the situation any better if you hear that and you're also feeling very lonely, I can imagine.
1: Right, yeah. And again, like you said, right, when we conducted the survey was October 2020. So, you know, the pandemic was still um, very much, you know, imposed on our lives, right? There were still many restrictions. Um, people couldn't really go out. We had to social distance. And so I think those sorts of limitations, right, could be exacerbated for young people, um, and especially young people who might not be going to college or university, right, who don't have access to, you know, those more social opportunities or opportunities for social connection. So it was, and I think it continues to be a very hard time. And you know, we are committed to tracking this and, and just seeing how levels of loneliness play out as, you know, hopefully the pandemic, you know, uh, lessens in terms of um, impacting our lives so much.
0: Right. Things are, as things subside, or we hope they continue to subside a little bit. You've talked about the, the pandemic and its effect on loneliness. And obviously that was a big factor here because you conducted the survey in October of 2020. But this is not a new problem, right? What did researchers know about loneliness before the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly not a new problem. I think some of the rates that we found were a bit more surprising, right? 61% for young people that that did seem a bit higher than some previous studies. And, you know, when you look at previous studies, you do find that the there are mixed findings when it comes to like age differences, or other differences. But generally, you know, they do find that like young people are lonelier than much older people, the middle age, not so much, you know, we know from so many studies that loneliness has just terrible health effects, you know, social or physical, um, right? I thought it was shocking uh, that, you know, health researchers have found loneliness, can carry the same, if not worse, effects as like smoking. They liken it to something like 15 cigarettes a day, um, drinking, obesity. So it really is such a dire health problem and health concern. And so I, I, I think what we kind of elevated and what we added was again this focus on, you know, really paying attention to basic forms of caring and empathy, right, or perceived empathy, whether people were getting it as much as they thought they were giving it. And I think those relations to loneliness, I think, um, are something we want to pay attention to. You mentioned the
0: treating loneliness almost like, you know, it can be as bad as as smoking, as drinking a lot, you know, all these other things that we know are pretty bad for our health. What are some of the health problems that loneliness can lead to that, you know, problems with your physical health, for example?
1: So, you know, it's been tied to cardiovascular disease, um, stroke, anxiety, you know, sadly, drug abusers report more loneliness than non-drug abusers. Again, I'm citing citing research, I think that's, you know, in single studies, but those are the kinds of things I, I saw, um, just really dire negative physical and other effects.
0: That's interesting that it could show up. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily connect those things. Uh, thinking of loneliness leading to a heart problem, for example?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of it, again, is probably the stress that comes with that, right? We, even though we might not label it a stress, I think to feel so lonely and torn with oneself, can certainly, you know, elevate cortisol, right? That's like the stress hormone. And I think we know that that is linked to a slew of physical problems like cardiovascular and neurological issues yeah i think when you really like dig into the way that it manifests in the body it really starts to make a lot more sense but yeah at first it's just so like shocking
0: yeah it's really that's kind of a surprising link
2: we'll be back after a quick break Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. And now, back to our episode.
0: Let's talk about, let's go back to the the pandemic itself. How did it make loneliness even worse than we already, than we know it already was? What are some of the specific changes to how we live that you think increased these feelings of loneliness?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the obvious one, right, goes back to the restrictions, especially with not being able to see people as much having to keep a distance. And I, I think that's really tough when you cut off Those opportunities for social connection, for actual social interaction that, you know, clearly makes it difficult to sustain and continue general relationships. And I think that's where we really had to rely on existing relationships. So, you know, for for us personally, for example, in my family, we missed each other a lot. Um, We thought a lot about our friends that we couldn't see. But we were able to use FaceTime all the time, right? Um, and we made a point to do that quite regularly. I also made a point to text friends very close, but also not so close, just to see how they're doing, to like check in, um, to be there for one another. So I, I think what the pandemic did is that it in some ways required a lot more of us, right? It required a lot more effort, a lot more intention, a lot more willpower, things that were already being so um, jeopardized and compromised by feelings of trauma, fear, anxiety, you know, and some people are just better able to cope than others for a slew of reasons, right? There's a number of protective factors out there that we know of, and I think that's why it's up to us you know, on a very profoundly individual and interpersonal level to be mindful of that and just to like look out for one another. Right. So if I know that I'm doing better and if the pandemic isn't affecting me as badly as someone next door or someone, you know, um, across Zoom, (laughs) I should then put in more effort to make sure everyone else is doing okay.
0: That's interesting that you say that. I have a lot of people in my life who during the pandemic, you know, they live alone and they are the type of people who really tend to reach out a lot to other people, you know, hey, let's hang out. Hey, let's, you know, get on Zoom. Let's do this or that. Let's go sit outside somewhere. And they really had, they really struggled when they felt like other people were not doing the same for them as much.
1: Yeah, I and that's again right it kind of goes back to what we found I, I and to be honest i think like i was greatly inspired by these things that i was experiencing that i was seeing other people experience you know i'm as a mom of young of a young child myself i'm part of several mom groups on facebook and oh uh, i was just so you know sad to see so many moms writing about how they have no one to reach out to, or that they always feel like they're the first to reach out, and that people don't really get back to them or don't reciprocate that. Yeah, I think that's an issue as well. And what I keep telling myself, when I also tend to feel like that sometimes is that, you know, we're all people, we're all human, we're all trying our best for the most part. Um, And it's important to just like, assume good intentions. You know, those people might not be, you know, as ignorant or indifferent as we think. They just might be going through other problems or their own struggles. And if we just continue to show up and be there, hopefully, eventually, they will be what we need of them. But that said, I also think, you know, there comes a threshold, Right. There's only so much that you can be there for people um, and they're not there for you. So I, I you know, in, in psychology, they talk a lot about boundaries. Right. And establishing healthy boundaries. So for those people who feel like there is a really significant um, empathy gap, you know, they're giving in more than they're getting back. Um, may, it might be time to reevaluate the quality of those relationships. Establish some really good boundaries. And if people are still not responsive to those boundaries, then it really might be time to move on and seek out new and better people in your life.
0: Mm -hmm. Relationships that will not make you as likely to actually feel lonelier (laughs) than if you had not right than if you had other other relationships. You mentioned Facebook a moment ago. And While we've been talking, I've been thinking, you know, but what about social media, like that's supposed to, supposed to connect us all and bring us together and, you know, widen your circle and everybody, especially this age group we're talking about here, young adults, you know, people are really invested highly in multiple social media platforms, but yet they're still reporting these feelings of loneliness. In your opinion, what role has social media played in this crisis?
1: That is a really tough and loaded question to answer, right? I think there's several ways one can answer that from a philosophical epistemological point of view and also just a very practical point of view. I think just from what we know from research, right? Social media can be beneficial for people who, you know, n- need the digital formats to connect um, or who for whom it just works, right? They're able to connect through that through that means. Um, And then there's people for whom it doesn't work, and it can only exacerbate their health and well-being. And one thing I find very interesting in the BBC study, so there was this huge global study conducted by BBC World News, I believe, a few years back, and they found that lonely people tended to only use social media for social connection. So... And I think that's that might be consistent with some other studies that show that people who solely use social media for connecting and, you know, being um, in relationships might want to reconsider. Right. And reach out um, because while those relationships might be giving some short term benefits, they might not be so healthy in the long term. Right. We are social species. We need face to face real life interactions we need those to survive on a just a very like visceral, social, physical level. So that's my stance on social media. And I, I also think that uh, I would love to see many more creative ideas and approaches to establishing social connection, right? I don't think likes are enough. Um, I don't think these groups are enough. I, while it's nice to have that opportunity, again, it can exacerbate problems, right? Because I, I can guarantee you there are many moms out there who are solely relying on those social groups as a means to interact. And while it might be an antidote to one problem, it's certainly not more broadly. Also, I think you, in the report,
0: you talked about sort of the gap between people's the relationships that they want and their actual relationships. And it seems like social media would really kind of aggravate that feeling. Like if you're seeing a bunch of posts with people having a great time with their friends, that would make you feel so much more lonely and isolated, I would think.
1: Yeah, if you're susceptible to that, right? And I think that's why young people in particular were reporting more loneliness because they are more susceptible to this need for approval, this need for uh, fitting in. Um, a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. FOMO. <laughs> right. Like me personally, at this point in my life, being that I'm in my 30s, <laughs> I don't want to say at which point, I, I don't care as much about the likes. I really don't. I did 10 years ago. So again, I think it can have varying effects, right? On varying people for very varying reasons. I would just love to see Facebook and other social media platforms be creative and 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 really think about the good that they're supposed to be doing, right? So one example I think is great. I couldn't believe this this young woman, I think she was maybe 15, 16 at the time, Trisha Prabhu, I think is her name. She developed as a teenager um, this really cool anti-cyber bullying app to be able to detect harmful behavior or harmful language and nudge its users online to rethink their words before they get posted, right? So, and she's now, she's, you know, created and patented this app. And I think she works with schools to implement this. And, you know, where are those, where are the Trishas, you know, in these um, social media companies? I would love to see more cool apps and ideas like that where they really serve to Prevent harm, but also promote positive, genuine connection. Because really, we need high quality connections. We don't need a bunch of likes. We need a few likes that are very meaningful.
0: Mm-hmm. And more conversations that actually spring up as a part of that. Absolutely. Those, those friendships that you have in social media. That's really interesting. So what helps people who feel lonely? Uh, it seems like this problem goes beyond the ability of a person just to make themselves feel better. So, but, but maybe first let's, let's talk about that. Are there things that someone can do on their own to feel better when they're feeling lonely?
1: Yeah. And, you know, when you look online, I did a bunch of research for this report and, you know, you get the somewhat predictable tips, right? Find a new hobby, um, seek out new experiences, find people that make you feel good about yourself, all very true. But again, how do people do that when they're already in a state of such deep, profound loneliness?
0: I would think that would feel impossible if you were pretty feeling pretty bad about your situation.
1: Right. So I think that's why, you know, in our report, we laid out three recommendations where only one of them really focused on people afflicted by loneliness And the other two focus more on, like, developing a wider social infrastructure that really um, combats loneliness and making a commitment to one another as individuals to be more attentive to one another and to be more genuine in our relationships. But back to people afflicted by loneliness, as you asked specifically about them, In the research I was doing, I did find that of all the interventions that have been done and vetted, the one that seemed to have the most sizable effects was actually, you know, um, social cognitive behavioral therapy, or maybe aspect of it to basically combat and defeat the maladaptive or negative thoughts that come with loneliness. So... You know, this sounds like it might be an issue of access and reach as well, right? Because many people might not have the means to seek the therapy that they need or to seek that help and support. So we need to provide that as a society. But maybe on an individual level, you know, we can again just try and be more intentional. Um, you know, if you can like download an app that really helps you go through the steps of, you know, social cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's identifying negative thoughts, reframing how you think, and just thinking differently about your situation and the people in your lives. I think that in and of itself can go a long way.
0: So if you can't see a therapist who can help you through this, maybe try to just work through some of those, those points on your own and see if you can, see if you can change your thinking a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I think, I you know, I'm not really an apt, person, to be honest. But I do know that, like, I, you know, I mentioned Trisha's app. I, I think there's another one called Headspace or something space where it's for reaching personal goals. But as part of that, I think it's also about really thinking about what it is you want, how you want to attain it. I would hope there's questions about social support. And if not, then I, I'm sure there are apps that can help with that to serve as nudges, right? We all need nudges and we all need some support. And I think just starting small, even there can probably go a long way in the long term.
0: So if you had a friend or a family member who came to you and said, you know, I'm really feeling very lonely right now, what would be some advice that you would give them on how, what they could do?
1: Well, I think before I even give them advice, I might ask, what are you feeling exactly? Why are you feeling lonely? So it's kind of going back to those dimensions of loneliness, right? Because I I think there need to be more tailored approaches to people's experiences of loneliness. It's not just like a one size fits all kind of thing. So I would ask, what is it? You know, if it's more existential and if it's something at their inner core that they're just not feeling right with, I would just want to talk to them about that and and learn more and Be a better friend and have those better conversations. If it's more of like a relational issue, right, where they're maybe not feeling comfortable with people in their space, um, then, yeah, I would urge them to find other opportunities, find groups, find other spaces to be in. Right. Um, And if it's more collective, if, if it's an issue of like existential angst where they are dissatisfied with, you know, the ways things are going in the world or our country, then I would probably point them to a bunch of really positive um, perspectives and ways to deal with those. Uh, But I think, again, it's really important to really ask first and try to identify the sources of the loneliness and then together seek out appropriate solutions.
0: Okay, that makes sense. What are some of the
1: things that all of us can do to combat this
0: problem, whether or not you personally feel lonely yourself?
1: Yeah. Thank you. I love this question. I think that's the number one question. What can we all do? And I really think it's a matter of intention and will. I think we all just need to care a lot more. (laughs) I think we need to care about ourselves and the ways in which we are growing and learning because those things become reflected in our relationships. And we really need to care about other people and the way that we connect to other people. I think ultimately it really just becomes, it sounds so simple, but really it's an issue of intention. Like, Do we are we intentional enough to think about other people and reach out, make the time show up and just be present? You know, like when we are hanging out with our friends we haven't seen in a month or two, are we still responding to notifications on our phone or are we actually making that effort to disable notifications so we can be fully present? It's like little things like that. That I think we need to do more. That I think, hopefully, uh, collectively, will materialize into a more caring society.
0: A simple caring act can really go a very long way. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I always i'm a i'm a huge movie buff. It it gives me so much life and joy to just sit and watch movies. I could do it all day long. Um, I joke that I should probably just work as a movie reviewer or something. But, you know, when Robin Williams passed away, it was so devastating, especially knowing what he once said. So I'm trying not to choke up even saying it. He said, you know, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It is not. The worst thing is to end up with people who make you feel alone. That's just devastating, you know, and in our lives personally. We know people who have um, passed away due to suicide. And it's really devastating to, to hear words like that, to know that people can feel so immensely alone. And so that's why, you know, in my own life, I always try to just be there and show up as much as I can. And when other people say, oh, no, 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 you're too sweet. You don't have to do that. I'm like, why? Like, why, <laughs> and it's so interesting. I, I hear that a lot from people. There's this sense of like resistance. Niobe Way, this wonderful professor at NYU talks about relational aspects of our lives and relational resistance. And it's so, it's so true. I feel like people have this tendency to resist not just help or support, but like genuine, genuine offering of being there for them. And I think we all just need to let our guards down and just be. I think we just need to be there, be amongst each other and relish like the beauty and like social connection.
0: It's okay to need that (laughs) or to want that. Seems like some people even have problems with that or acknowledging that they that would really help them. Right. Speaking of of caring. You are part of the Making Caring Common project. What is that?
1: Yes, we are a small project, part of the Graduate School of Education, where we work to create resources and strategies for schools, communities, families, uh, to help children be good ethical citizens. So, you know, we really focus on elevating the conversation around caring, um, but also developing the resources needed to develop caring in children and in the process, adults as well. So we have, you know, a number of projects um, currently working to develop those strategies and resources in families and schools and research projects such as this, the State of Caring, uh, where we're really trying to better examine how we can restore genuine connections and sense of caring in people.
0: I thought it was interesting in the report how you even though this survey was of adults only you talked about the you know the likely effects on children of loneliness and almost needing the need to teach children how to care for others or the importance of caring for others instead of the focus that I think has been um more prevalent for young people in recent generations of being happy or being successful or you know high achieving but really taking the focus back to what are you doing for other people
1: yeah no absolutely i mean that that's our whole you know mission um, is a world where children can really learn to care about others and the common good where you know they treat people well today Day to day, but also really come to understand and seek fairness and justice. And ultimately, that means having a very relational orientation, right? Thinking about other people, caring about their feelings, and really appreciating caring across difference. So it's not enough to just care for people in our very, you know, close or local communities. We also need to care for everyone even if they don't look or think or act um or sound like us that's
0: fascinating work and it sounds so valuable and like it would really solve a lot of problems that we are facing today as a society so i'm very excited to see where that goes
1: this will conclude the episode thanks for tuning in if you like what you hear please leave a comment and subscribe thank you